Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Amen. The word of God for our special meditation this evening is found in John 13, verses 1 through 5 and 12 to 17. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved those who were his own in the world, he loved them to the end. By the time the supper took place, the devil had already put the idea into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He got up from the supper and laid aside his outer garment. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. After Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garment, he reclined at the table again. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, because I am. Now if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Yes, I have given you an example, so that you also would do just as I have done for you. Amen, amen, I tell you. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Dear fellow disciples of Jesus, bear with me. I'm going to start tonight with some political science or legal talk. Did you know that there are two types of rights when we're talking about human rights? They can be classified as positive or negative. Negative rights are the things that we have a right not to have done to us. The rights enshrined in the U.S. Constitution, for instance, are in this category. The things that the government is not allowed to do to its people. The state is not allowed to just take things from its citizens, nor restrict the press, nor establish one church above all the others, nor try and sentence anyone without due process of law. Positive rights are things that people can claim or do without regard for other people. These are a lot trickier because your exercise of a positive right can quickly become a problem for someone else's negative right to be left alone. You may have heard it said that my right to swing my fist ends where your nose begins. And that illustrates the issue pretty well. Why this can be politically contentious might be demonstrated by, oh, let's say, purple pajamas. We could say that in a free society like ours, everyone has a right to wear purple pajamas in his or her own home. Neither the government nor anyone else has the power to interfere with that. But imagine that the argument was made that wearing purple pajamas was a 
positive right that every citizen deserved to be supplied with purple pajamas, that society owes everyone purple pajamas. If that were true, then growers and textile manufacturers would be compelled to supply cotton, makers of dye would be compelled to supply purple, and seamstresses and tailors would be compelled to sew the pajamas, and stores would be compelled to hand the sleepwear out for free. Of course, the government would have to be involved to do all of that compelling. Now, why this talk of rights? To draw out the contrast in what we just read about what Jesus did and said before supper on Monday, Thursday evening. The disciples had no right to have someone wash their feet before dinner. And the fact that none of them got up to do it probably shows that each thought that no one had the right to expect him to do the washing. That, after all, was a servant's job. So he was free, each one of them would have thought, to not do anything, no matter how much of a custom this washing was and no matter how dirty their feet were. Jesus, on the other hand, was the Lord of creation and King of the universe, the Son of God in the flesh. He had a positive right to everything from everyone. By rights, the disciples should all have been pushing and shoving to wash his feet. All of Jerusalem should have been crowding at the door, bearing food for his Passover meal. He should not have had to lift a finger for anything. He truly deserved the worship and service of everyone. And if anyone were to disappoint him, or if he were simply displeased, he would even have the right to smite them with his divine power. But he did, and expected, and asked for none of those things. He did the exact opposite. He set aside every right and prerogative that was his as the Son of God and made himself servant to his disciples. He acted as though they had the right to have him wash their feet. Instead of dressing himself in kingly robes, he took off his outer garment. Instead of holding a, a scepter, he took a towel in his hands. Instead of sitting tall and straight with a crown on his head, he bent over. Instead of having others bow to him, he lowered himself to the floor and put his face at his disciples' dirty feet. Instead of being Lord, he humbled himself to become a servant. His hands 
which before had healed and commanded and blessed and created, now dipped in water, now scrubbed dirt, now wiped dry. They were hands of humility. And they would become even more so the next day when he allowed them to be bound and pierced by nails, forsaking even his right to justice and his right to be untouched. And the only thing, the only thing that compelled Jesus to this self-abasement and self-sacrifice was love. There was no duty or obligation requiring him to do any of this. Only love. The amazing, unexpected, and absolutely undeserved love of God for undeserving sinners. His disciples there that night, including Judas, whose heart the devil had already turned, and all people, including you and me. This is the grace of God. And grace, and only grace, caused Jesus, having already humbled himself to become one of us, grace caused him to put his hands and his whole body and being into service for others, for sinners. We see and taste this vividly in the great gift Christ gave us at this, that last supper, the, the sacrament of Holy Communion. By right, His body and blood should be absolutely and unquestionably off-limits to sinners. The guilty and the unclean have no business even getting near Him. But instead, and amazingly, He offers us His body in the bread and His blood in the wine and says, take and eat, take and drink, so that we we might have our sins forgiven and that we might know it intimately and, and so that our trust in Him and our enjoyment of all of His blessings might be stronger, better, closer, deeper. But before He instituted His precious supper of grace, His hands of humility gave us this thing that was perhaps not so miraculous, but still quite remarkable. An example to follow. An example that that flies in the face of everything normal human nature expects. It's not just that he condescended to serve as he did, but it's also that he even took the time to teach this object lesson, given all that must have been on his mind. 
As our text tells us, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. This this was a time when we would expect his attention to be focused in on himself, to prepare for the struggles and the sufferings that lay right ahead. But instead, his focus was on loving to the end, to the fullest, those that his father had put into his care. But while, humanly speaking, this is unexpected, spiritually speaking, it is exactly what we should expect. Remember how Jesus described his mission on earth earlier in his ministry? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The washing of his disciples' feet was perfectly in line with everything Jesus ever did, including what the next hours held. His betrayal, his suffering, and his death to pay the ransom price to set all sinners free from their bondage to death and the devil. The entire life of Jesus was one of humility and service. The Son of God stooping to become one of us to save us, though because of our sins, we deserved nothing but damnation. In mercy, He gave us His attention, His love, and His very life. And then He said, you do this too. It's not in our text tonight, but in verses shortly after. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That was the lesson behind the foot washing. Now if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Yes, I have given you an example, so that you also would do just as I have done for you. Christ, who is perfectly and infinitely glorious and powerful, and whose humility is entirely a choice, washed the feet of those who were most definitely beneath him, but he treated them as though he was the lowest and they were the highest. And so if Jesus, who had no obligation to act so humbly in service toward people, will stoop so low in love, then how much more should we, who have so much more reason to be humble, <laughs> be willing to serve, no matter how low we have to go to show such love? We will do just as Christ has done for us. 
not to earn salvation or to show ourselves worthy, but to show the same kind of love to others that God has shown to us by saving us from sin, death, and Satan, and so much more. So we put our hands into service for others, in humility considering them better than ourselves. We don't hold ourselves up above other people, and we don't play at humility in order to manipulate anyone either. Just as Christ's service and humility were real and heartfelt, so is ours. Now, you and I don't have much occasion to wash each other's feet, but we have plenty of opportunities to serve our brothers and sisters in faith with the same love that our Savior showed us. And by this, all the world will know that we are his disciples. When your brother in Christ starts a story about something that matters to him, you will serve him by listening, even when you have your own story to tell, humbly considering that he is more worthy of your time and attention than you. And when your sister in Christ misplaces her keys for the umpteenth time, you will happily help her look for them or offer her a ride or or wait with her for a locksmith because you are there to serve her because that is what Christ's disciples do. And when there is a need in your congregation or a job to be done and it looks like no one is stepping up, maybe. Maybe because they think that they have better things to do with their time, or even that that particular task is beneath them. You will be eager to serve. We will follow Christ's example, so that we also do just as he has done for us. He put his hands and his feet and head and his body and soul, all things, into service to us and for our salvation. We cannot save anyone, but we can love them by serving them, happily with hands of humility. If we know these things, we are blessed if we do them. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.